Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evening on RTE Radio. Our show this week brought to you proudly by Intersystems and we'll be finding out more about what they're doing with data later on in the show. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is show number 946. Joining me as ever is Niall Kitson. Niall, this could be our very last show. Explain. Well, we're both dying. <laughs> Very dying. Basically. And, and it's not... dying of head colds. It's not oh, the alcohol-related dying. I'd love that kind of dying right now. Yeah, no, we're both in bits. And Jason last week, <clears> I <throat> love him. What a trooper. He, he, he was in bits as well. It's yeah. just uh, anyone that touches the show is getting sick at the moment. Oh, so <laughs> you may it's, just have to call it quits at this yeah, stage. Except people who listen to the show, you're immune. Okay, and, and you're lovely, and and we love you. But we, so listen, we ourselves are dying. We, we we will be much better next week, and next week will be a cracking show because it's going to be our toy show uh, yeah. for Christmas, where we're looking through. I mean, I know what's his name, um, uh, Tuberty, is doing it on the TV this weekend on on Friday night. Um, but we're we're adults. We'll wait until December. We can, yeah, we're we're <laughs> grown ups that way. <laughs> 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 Grown-ups. Okay, let's get into the news then. Uh, Twitter, 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 Twitter. It's still tweeting on. Is this going to go on forever or are we going to see an end to it at some stage? Well, here's the thing. I mean, when Musk took over and fired half of the workforce, then let go all the contractors, then told the remaining people, you're either going to work under these, you know, hardcore inverted commas conditions and you either reply to my email or I assume you're gone and lost a couple hundred more people that way and has since come out and said, well, do you know what? I mean, you can forget about things like remote working and childcare and wellness and all this kind of thing. You know, basically stripping away everything engineers expect uh, in a job um, with the hope of, you know, replacing them with with some sort of, you know, uh, engineer acolytes, uh, which we know there are plenty out there. he just he just seems to have this cult of personality around him, uh, like a, a certain other person that he he enjoys talking to and inviting back on his platform, uh, only to be turned down, which I thought was hilarious. Um, so yeah, he is uh, Elon Musk has stripped Twitter down to the bare bones. We have all expecting the site to fall over. We have all expected the return of the fail whale. We have all just you know we're, we're waiting on calamity. To uh, to uh, erupt. And well, listen, what happened yet? Yeah, but what is the story? I, I can't imagine it would happen just yet because any well-run organization will be able to run for a certain amount of period of time. All right, uh, it's only then, like after like six weeks or maybe six months, when something goes wrong, will there be somebody there to fix it? Is that what's the story with uh, Twitter? I think that's that's a good point. But uh, what I would have thought would have been a critical event was the World Cup and the amount of traffic. That would have been on the on the site as a result mm. of the World Cup, uh, sort of the the global uh, event, and actually Twitter is, has dealt with it quite nicely. And um, one of the site reliability engineers at Twitter, Matthew Trejo, he went and he published uh, a blog post basically explaining uh, what was happening uh, uh, or what 
wasn't happening. And he basically said that you know, he'd spent years as part of a team building in so much redundancy and uh, making Twitter's systems so robust that it doesn't matter if you know Twitter version one goes down, they have an entire backup that will kick in and you won't even notice. So there is an awful lot of spare capacity in Twitter's uh, engineering stack. So it's not going to be a case of somebody taking away um, you know, the matchstick and the, the entire house mm. collapsing. It's not going to be that. So I think you're right. It will be something to happen in a couple of weeks. Something will something will happen and they'll notice they don't have the expertise in the room to, uh, to make it happen. Similarly, mm. oddly enough, uh, to what happened last weekend when uh, Musk sort of removed access to everybody's um, uh, keys uh, only to realize he needed certain people back in, in the buildings. <clears throat> Uh, so he needed the help of a guy that effectively he had laid off. <laughs> he said something very nice about him on Twitter, though. So I guess that made it all all better. He, he he is the nightmare boss, isn't he? Uh, but what about um, what about the people who? Because the last I heard last week was people got this email from Elon, and it just kind of went, you know, blah 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 blah. And I expect you to work ten times harder for half the money, and da, 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 and whatever. And uh, you must click this link if you're going to stay on, or otherwise they'll assume that you're quitting. And a load of people just went, well, you, uh, I'm gone. Well, that's it. And there has been something of a, a mini movement mm. uh, resulting from this because, as we know, there is a massive talent deficit out there in the technology sector. I mean, this is why engineers are so highly paid. It's because there, you know, there aren't a lot of them for the amount of work that needs doing. Yeah. Now, this is something that we're kind of. I think we've we've plateaued on that a little bit uh, because we're seeing all these job losses and they seem to be spread out quite a bit across sales, marketing, engineering, all these sort of roles. Uh, engineering, particularly uh, an area that you wouldn't have seen uh, job cuts in the past, but we are starting to see that now. So mm. all of a sudden, you've got an awful lot of ex-Twitter people on the market, highly skilled, used to working in a, a fairly, you know, fairly positive corporate environment, exactly the sort of mm. staff that uh, the multinationals love to hoover up or that indeed startups would like to take on. Uh, and they're just they're just floating around there waiting waiting to be approached. Um, Katie Burke, who is chief people officer uh, chief people officer at HubSpot, which is a company that has an operation uh, over here, basically came out and he said, you know, uh, don't be so thin skinned, you know, as a leader getting criticized is part of your job. Which is, you know, it's fair comment. And if you happen to own a social network, people are going to use it to complain about you. Just get used to it. Uh, you know, you can't be thin-skinned in social media. Uh, and yet, some people seem to think they can get away with it. That they can be, you know, uh, they can have their their offline privileges maintained in an online space. Which is really bizarre with tech people that they, that they seem to think this. Mm. But there you go. So, uh, yeah. You have an awful lot of co companies out there just going, what have you done? Yeah, You've he's, he's, he's making really good people. Yeah, he's making the rear end of a dog out of it, really, isn't he? So, uh, uh, but listen, lest, lest we go on and start, you know, kind of just thrashing Twitter and saying that the, the worst employer in the world, uh, let's bring Apple into the conversation here. And not necessarily Apple directly, but Foxconn in China. Fox always, on, yeah. yeah, always a kind of like, you know, you hear about the staff in there and they're paid terrible and they're made to work awful, awful hours and data and all kinds of that. I mean, this is what I kind of get uh, from the various yeah. stories. But there is unrest once again at the Foxconn yeah. uh, uh, Corporation. Yeah, we're seeing some very disturbing footage coming out of Zingzu, uh, which has a, a Foxconn plant there. Um, 
what at the moment has been happening is that workers have been protesting uh, over conditions, working hours, but also wages uh, as well, which is very important. And they have been uh, attacked by riot police uh, as a result. Now, uh, Apple has come out and said, look, because of these manufacturing delays, there's going to be a 14 day wait on uh, iPhone 14 deliveries, which I know will be the most important people on a, on a lot of people's minds and certainly would be on Foxconn's mind. But uh, this is basically what happened as far as I know it. And part of it feeds into China's government policy uh, and part of it feeds into some sort of either administrative error or trying to get one over on workers. So China has a, a zero COVID policy. This is it. They want to squash out COVID completely. If there is a single case of COVID, you know, the entire entire areas, entire towns get shut down. That's it. Which means that you have an awful lot of people out of work for extended periods of time, uh, which is not good, uh, of course, as we know. Foxconn is, uh, you know, a fairly stable employer. Uh, you will be working extremely, extremely hard, but they actually pay quite well. And they were hiring in people from, uh, you know, places that, or rather companies or pe- people that haven't been working for uh, the better part of, you know, months, years at this stage. And they offered, you know, X amount, uh, which was actually pretty, pretty good money, uh, only for people to come in and discover that uh, they're actually going to be paid something else, which was a much lower rate, at which point Foxconn said, oh, no, the, the original rate that we quoted you is going to kick in uh, just two months after you've joined, um, which is, you know, kind of ridiculous. I mean, would you do that? Would you, you join uh, a large, massively profitable company uh, on the promise of being paid one wage and then being told that you will have to work for two months at a lower wage for n- no reason? I think it happens. I think it's quite common. Really? Yeah. You're, you're and so it wouldn't bother cynical. me. I think, no, well, maybe I am cynical, but it would also wouldn't bother me. It, it also depends what the difference is. You can flip that around the other way and you can say, yay, number one, I've got a job. All right. So that's a positive. All right. And I've got a job where after the first two months, if I'm still at it, I get a pay rise. You can look at it that way. You don't like that, though. You're you're too cynical. Well, I mean, I just I just <laughs> believe in playing by the rules at which you join a game. You know, like if if you're told you're going to be paid this, fine. Oh, actually, do you know, I, I, I would, uh, I, I'd, I'd be quite happy with that policy, uh, especially if they're upfront about it. And I think it's very good with, uh, like a lot of companies will put people on probation. So like you kind of get in and you do the gig for two or three months and you don't even know if you're going to have it after that uh, two or three months. Yeah. I so, know, you know the, same thing. The latest, the latest official comment from Foxconn mm. anyway was that they said it was a technical error. Uh, they hmm. apologized <laughs> and, yeah, and, and that's pretty much it. However, a man from the, the uh, Communist Party um, apparently, the secretary in charge of community services uh, said that the workers' demands would, in fact, be met. Wow. So, All right. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, finally, for news for this week, and none of it is good news, really. Uh, we've seen Meta doing layoffs. Facebook are laying off a whole load of people. And now HP are the latest to announce uh, some uh, job cuts. Yeah, HP, a company that you would certainly put on the more stable end of the uh, of the tech sector, mm. um, you know, all the big vendors, I suppose, Dell, HP, Intel, uh, all these guys, you know, very, very stable companies. But again, they, we're, we're into this post-pandemic effect where everyone that has changed their laptop or has changed their IT estate in a company, they've done it. And now what are you left with? You know, the boom is over. 
Uh, and as a result, it looks like HP are going to be letting uh, between four and 6,000 people go between now and the end of uh, their 2025 fiscal year. So it's, a, it's nearly 12% of their entire workforce. It's a lot, isn't it? It's an awful lot. And it is down to, I mean, there's a lot of businesses, I think, that had their moment during the pandemic and or had a moment and now there's a retrenching we're seeing this across the board in uh, in tech doesn't seem to matter what what sector you're part of or what you do everybody seems to be experiencing this deflationary period after managing mm. to get through the pandemic you know fairly unscathed mm. uh in the main um like we're we're now looking at companies that really um really made their name in the last two years like OnlyFans and Cameo if you know those two uh, they're <clears throat> they're pretty much on the outs um, <laughs> and to see big brands uh, like HP really taking a, a knocking is something else I mean uh, to look at some of the stats like according to Gartner uh, who are an independent analyst in this PC shipments across the world are down almost 20% from the third quarter of 2022 compared to 2021 so mm. That just gives you an example of the sort of decline that that we're dealing with here. You know, it's millions of units, uh, and you know, maybe maybe buying patterns are are changing. Maybe people are looking to get more out of the circular economy by you mm. know exchanging parts as opposed to buying new new laptops. You know, on mass, uh, maybe that initial buying splurge uh, when everybody had to go home is is just done and dusted. All right. Well, listen, we leave it uh, there because I think you're about on your way out now as well, are you? <laughs> oh, stop! That's, that, right, I, I am absolutely sending a, a strong tweet of complaint to your mother. Uh, Nal Kisson, thanks for uh, keeping us up to date from your deathbed. Uh, that is it for uh, the news for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Research from this week's sponsor, InterSystems has found that the majority of supply chain initiatives, which is basically finding better ways of getting deliveries from A to B, are being driven by a desire to keep pace with consumer needs, with more than three quarters of businesses citing innovation as being vital to their organization's very survival. Chris Alexander, sales manager at InterSystems, had a chat with Niall Kitson about how companies are relying on data as the key to innovation and staying in business. Chris, we've had... uh an interesting few years to say the to say the least of it. Um, one of the main areas that we have been reevaluating, kind of an, on an ongoing basis, thanks to the geopolitical situation, is the nature of supply chains and how has that changed over the last few years? Because we are having technological advances married with these geopolitical advances as well. I think it's fair to say. Yes, I mean you're right. We've 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 had sort of a perfect storm, really, haven't we? With the um, with the, with the war in Ukraine, we've got the um, the aftershocks of the pandemic, and uh, in the UK here we've had Brexit. So uh, combine that with sort of worker shortages and inflation, and so the whole sort of supply chain business is is has been sort of battered, really. And as you say, we're, we're in an age where we've got sort of a rapid digital transformation. Everybody's looking to go on a digital transformation journey. 
And so all businesses are, are looking to modernize systems and build real-time omnichannel connectivity to deliver just-in-time service that, um, that sort of customers increasingly have, have come to expect as, uh, as people adjust their sort of buying patterns. So I think as a result, the, the sort of data accessibility and the visibility of the supply chain with actionable prescriptive insights has become even, even more crucial to, to businesses in order to, to work in this area. And, and, the, and the trouble is, I mean, we were speaking earlier, but, the, but many businesses are, are sort of faced with that um, journey ahead of them, but, but they're stuck with a maze of out, uh, outdated legacy systems and siloed information. Uh, and mean, in, uh, yeah, and in some cases, no systems whatsoever, because so many companies yeah. have been forced, uh, as you say, on that digital transformation journey that previously would have had no timetable uh, whatsoever. They would have been in a case of you know we're on the high street, we're face to face with our with our customers all the time. Yeah. Why would we need to sort of uh, implement new systems, even something as rudimentary as um, you know? Uh, an inventory management system or, uh, you know, a CRM database or something like that. So um, what sort of problems have you found with companies that are looking to change so, so much so quickly? Is it a case of, you know, we had all this other stuff, we just got to replace it? Or have you found an awful lot of companies just don't know what they can do? So, so I think it's um, it's interesting that this the, the different uh, the problems that our, our customers have because they're, they're sort of very uh, diverse in as much as we've got people who are, have got pickers uh, in huge warehouses who are who are trying to keep up with uh, ever increasing order rates and and uh, what with COVID we had. People who had twenty people, not customers who had twenty people, not turning up for us for a session, and so they had to quickly get others into a, a system that needed to be understood very quickly by people who weren't experienced. Um, and, and so the the whole one of our customers is, is using our systems to the, the warehouse is so big, and, and the, uh, the importance of achieving the orders on time so crucial that knowing where everybody is at any time in that warehouse. Uh, having a system that is able to automate who gets given those levels of business, but depending on where they are in a warehouse, it, it becomes crucial to keeping up uh, with, with their orders. So that's a that's a really interesting application where you're you're actually looking to keep an eye on uh, actual physical staff, and I guess one that comes with its uh, its own sort of level of of stress as well. But what other applications have you found that that have made you go actually? That's really interesting. That's going to filter into um, supply chain management as a whole. It's been it's been so diverse. We've had people who are working in hospitals who, um, uh, depending on which type of surgeon is actually performing an operation, then they incredibly they vary on which types of uh, tools they'd use for uh, exactly the same operation. And so the hospital needs to know, depending on who the um, surgeon is, as to what exactly what um, instruments that, that guy needs. So it's something like that. And we've had other people who are trying to uh, keep up their documentation on their carbon um, savings to, to get their carbon credits. And so 
they they need to get some sort of blockchain uh, information together such that they can uh, get um, not only information from their direct suppliers but their supplier suppliers on um, where certain uh, key components have, have come from. So there's, so there's such a, a diverse um, set of customers. But, but then you have the more traditional ones where we've got people who are – uh, like Marks and Spencers, who are, who are have got a, sort of a lot of food on the shelf that can only stay on the shelf for one day, and so that they need to ensure that they they're not running out too early, and they're not sort of got too much waste at the end of the day. So, so there's, it's hugely diverse and the different individual problems that our customers are having. And so, of course, when we're when we're talking about supply chain, we're effectively talking about data points generated from, you know, the warehouse or from the factory all the way to, I guess, uh, you know, your your table. If you're uh, uh, depending on what you've, what you've bought, that's an awful lot of gener of data generated from point A to point B. So, uh, how have you found? Um, you know, are there any particular data, I guess, hotspots you would have found along the way, uh, either geographically or in terms of maybe a, a type of storage where you'd go, oh, okay, this this warehouse over here has a disproportionate amount of, you know, let's, let's say toys, for example, mm. or this uh, warehouse over here has been particularly uh, good at storing food for whatever reason. Uh, are we seeing this sort of heat mapping going on or, or you know or is warehousing getting more generalized and storing more as or or as much in terms of you know a range of products so, well i think it, 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 the sort of ultimate goal it, it, if we take it up a level the ultimate goal in, in supply chain is, is efficiency isn't it? so and so you know we want to have just enough really and we don't want we don't want to run out but we don't want to have too much so so we want to optimize request fulfillment, timely delivery, and budget management. So, you, so you're not sitting on a lot of load of products that you've paid for and, and that you haven't got back. And so, there's sort of you talk about data points, but I think the key thing here is that many businesses are instead of um, taking the traditional approach of, of buying a myriad of point solutions, they're looking at more of a data platform solution that will give the supply chain experts access to real-time current data that, that enables them to make those decisions. And along with having the current data availability, if they've also got some sort of analytics and BI intelligence built in such that they can be aided in making those decisions that they have to make more quickly, that, that, that's, that's where I think we, we need to be heading towards really. So we're looking to achieve sort of a, a consistent flow of product, if you will, um, again, without sort of overburdening storage or uh, running out of uh, supply, which is uh, we're coming into that sort of final quarter of the year where managing uh, logistics is just going to become so essential, be it from Black Friday all the way through to the uh, to, I suppose, the January sales, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with the, the, the sort of benefits that some of our customers have got from that type of uh, analytics being available, we've got we've got um, Spa who who we've got fifteen thousand stores, and uh, at one time each one had a promotion planner. Now all that work is done pro 
programmatically and so it's done automatically. And um, uh, Boots have had hundreds of prior planners and now they now they that's that's reduced to twenty. So uh, um, we've got a number of situations where people are are just uh, automating what would be normally be a human uh, decision uh, in, in order to get better decisions and also do it more efficiently. That's really interesting. So you would have, you know, a greater emphasis on buyers maybe going out and finding interesting products than programming the the actual supply chain itself. You know, automation and AI once again freeing up people to do more interesting parts of their job. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So, so people are able to actually concentrate on the, the business rather than, uh, you know, you know, rather than. Uh, Doing, doing the more manual stuff. Of course, when you're dealing with data, it means that you've got to sort of talk about use, uh, about data protection as well. Um, supply chains being by their nature international presents uh, a series of problems uh, with um, data protection standards, GDPR uh, coming to mind first uh, and foremost. Of course, the UK has their own standards, which are very closely aligned with, with GDPR uh, as well. What kind of challenges have you found um, in supply chain? Uh, is it is it a case of, you know, go to the strictest regime and adhere to that? Or do you assemble something that's slightly more bespoke? Um, yeah, no. So we we have sort of one view globally where, where um, uh, you can have something that, as you say, meets meets the uh, – certainly has to meet the, each of the um, – uh, the areas that you're, you're, you're trading in. So, um, yeah, and you just need to ensure that it's trusted data and that, that all, all sort of local rules are adhered to. But you're right, it, it, is, a, it is a problem in that um, when, you're, when you're acting globally, we've got most, most companies are, are sort of global these days, so, that, so there is that problem. And uh, uh, another issue that I find tends to come up quite a lot with uh, data-driven companies is the issue of finding uh, a standard, not quite a, a gold standard of, of data gathering, but rather, you know, uh, agreed methods of, of gathering and filtering in order to make sure that the data you're basing decisions on is, uh, is accurate and usable. Um, how have you found companies are dealing with this? Is there, is there an acceptance that, you know, not all data is created equal? Yeah, I think so. And when, when I mean, we've got this term, uh, the, the control tower, the ultimate control tower, where, where you surface your data from whatever uh, silos you've got and from whatever legacy systems you've got, from whatever type of data it is, stru- structured, unstructured, uh, social media input. So you, you can surface your data in one view and, and you, well, when you've designed that system to surface that data into that single view, you, you make decisions along the way as to uh, which data you think is completely trustworthy and, and which data is up to date and, and which data you perhaps wouldn't want to be uh, surfacing to that view such that people make decisions upon it. But it's important to have that one view, which is uh, the, the people making decisions are, are completely confident that it's up-to-date and, and trustworthy. 
I suppose there there is also the issue of, you know, can you be confident in uh, your own data is fine, but maybe you're not as confident in the data that your customer is using and coming to you yeah. with the problem saying, oh, you know, this is something we think should be fixed. Um, do you go through your own due diligence as well to realize that actually, do you know what, the way you've been gathering the data is faulty, you don't have a problem here or conversely, you know, yes, and your problem is much bigger than you thought you did. Yeah, but this sort of touches on the, the, the problem that one of our, I, I mentioned earlier, one of our customers has with, with respect to um, securing the, the carbon credits that, it, that it's looking for. And, and as much as it, it's being told that um, the uh, components that it's buying uh, have, have got certain carbon credits as, with them, but then it's, it's proving that and, and getting that, getting that, um, necessary certification that, that, will, that will prove that. So I think at all stages you need to be um, uh, testing the validity of data that you're, that you're, that you're putting into this um, trusted format because, you know, as they say, garbage in, garbage out. So it's no, it's no point having a perfect system that enables you to view data if that data is incorrect. And lastly, uh, what sort of applications are you looking forward to seeing uh, in the future? Personally, uh, I think low and no code uh, are going to be absolutely revolutionary when it comes to um, developing the next generation of data-driven apps. But uh, would you agree with that view or do you see it coming from somewhere else? Can you say that again? Sorry, no. Just in terms of the future uh, of yeah. data-driven um, applications, uh, the, very much the buzz at the moment is around low-code and no-code. Do you think there's something to that or do you think m- maybe it's a bit soon for people to be developing their own applications? No, no, I think it, I think that is the way things are, are going, going to go. And, uh, you know, the, um, the, the having... Uh, the ability to either uh, uh, give your users access to to code their own systems and then create their own uh, applications, or to have that data just surfaced automatically, I think it is um, it, it is it's important to have those both available. But I think certainly that the low code, no code will will be upon us soon. Yes. And that was Chris Alexander, sales manager at Intersystems, chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our Tech Radio show for this week. Do remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can catch us every week online with our podcast and on Fridays with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.